Support for Even the Score podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SOUNDTRACK at manscaped.com. everyone and welcome back to the even the score podcast a podcast about soundtracks and scores from movies tv shows and video games i am as always don and i'm once again joined by my co-host anthony and jason hello to you both <laughs> hello <laughs> hey what's going on don <laughs> we're off to another rip roar and start so good <laughs> i like regal entrances oh, that was that was something i <laughs> Pardon. I don't know if regal was the word I was reaching for, but it was something, man. It was something. Well, we bow to you, Our Highness. Oh, ceremonial. <laughs> well, gents, the uh, nip is in the air. The leaves are falling from the trees. We are right smack in the middle of fall. And what better time to talk about holidays that re revolve around the fall season, or as we are calling in this episode, the fall-a-days. Yes, that's a clever little portmanteau. And then I also appropriated, and I have now referred to my fall activities as fall gaze. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I, I say you f uh, hashtag both of them when you uh, post the, the, the splash that's, for this. That's a must, yep. for sure. So what we thought we'd do as we continue on with our season two kickoff here going into genre is that we'd look at holiday movies that don't typically revolve around Christmas. We wanted to kind of keep that for a, a separate episode, even though I believe we're going to drift a little bit back into uh, into Christmas, maybe at the tail end of this episode. But there are some other holidays that occur uh, in between kind of September and end of December or end of November that we thought we'd bring into the conversation. So we are going to kick off with that topic in our second half of the episode uh, but before we do that we're going to get into our standard sort of segment here and we're going to talk about what you listened to recently and i think i'll kick off this one if you guys don't mind um my wife and i have just recently gotten into the show on disney plus only murders in the building and, oh yeah, yeah so it's selena gomez it is and steve martin and martin short so kind of a an unlikely trio there maybe two of the three you'd typically see i mean steve martin and martin short were together in father of the bride and father of the bride part two but now you have this kind of younger energy coming into the group with selena gomez in there and what they are doing in that show is really interesting they are basically doing a podcast about a murder that happened in their building in downtown um, new york so kind of a little meta thing here in talking about a show about creating a podcast on a podcast about talking about shows um, what I really liked about the show is not only the vibe and how they're kind of approaching the podcast structure, but the I think the big thing is the soundtrack. The podcast that they're doing is true crime, and of course, true crime podcasts are all of the rage, and they do really a solid send-up of some of those classic true crime podcasts that we've been seeing, like Serial, particularly. So the intro music is very sort of plink-plunky piano, and Steve Martin, being the musician that he is, he brings in some Constantino with like a, a very sad-sounding accordion 
Edwardian. And it's it's amazing what he, what they are able to do with such a simple subject matter. And it's interesting to see a really kind of new take on podcasts being brought into a TV show and seeing kind of the internal workings of this sort of mishmash group who were all obsessed about this one podcast, this one true kind podcast and decided to get into their own. So I've been listening to that soundtrack quite a bit. And it is, again, really interesting. I think it really does do a really good send up. It mirrors exactly what the industry is doing right now. And yeah, it's just a fun listen. And so I would recommend anybody go out and find Only Murders in the Building on Disney Plus and listen to that soundtrack. been hearing lots of fun stuff about it so i'm hoping to check it out soon i'll have to bring that to my wife's attention now the true crime stuff is not my bag at all but it's definitely hers i'm fascinated by the fact that it's on disney plus though that just seems like such an odd pairing it is and my wife actually noted that because there is a lot of f-bombs that come out of that show and it is a pretty violent murder that happens in the building and it it does kind of i think it's because of the big merger that's happening with disney how they pulled in like 20th century fox and all these other areas i think it they needed a few more adult focused shows to agree yeah to entertain so they brought in this and yeah it's definitely of an adult nature and like i said the swears are heavy and throughout so it's it's a nice breath of fresh air on disney plus i mean it is so marvel heavy and disney heavy it's nice to have this sort of offshoot that's uh, a little bit different than what you would typically find on that streaming platform but definitely mm. recommend it. Definitely find it. Truth. Also, I didn't know that Steve Martin played the accordion. Like, I've seen him play. I, I want to say I associate. Maybe it's not banjo. It is or something banjo. Like, he is. Okay. He's an incredible banjo player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? That's the context I think I've usually seen him play music. So, I mean, it's not like an accordion's anything like a, a banjo at all. So that's sort of, that's hey. interesting. That is really neat. I had no idea about that. There's a line in the show where he talks about how his father was a guy who you could put him in front of any instrument and he would just be able to pick it up and how he kind of embraced that. And that was more of the character, but it feels like it's character influenced by actor Mm. where he just seems to be this amazing multi-instrumentalist. And music plays a heavy focus into the show with his character and some interactions with other characters throughout. He hasn't done the banjo yet, but what he did with the lone accordion, it's not like the big accordion, it's kind of just that small sort of handheld one that you can kind of push and pull pretty easily and just the way that he's playing it in that show is really cool and it does build like a sort of somber eerie sort of soundtrack around the he was doing a voiceover for the podcast at the time so it'd be like if i was talking now and i was playing the accordion at the same time that's what he was doing in the show so it was really interesting but that's me who wants to go next oh i mean i'll jump in sure for me uh, it hasn't been a heavy new listening period so much. Very, very recently, thanks to uh, my brother-in-law, I got this uh, copy of uh, Michelle and Dege Ocello. Like, she had this cover album in 2018, and she does a lot of different covers. Actually, it's an album of that. And we were listening to that last night uh, in the car. And, you know, it was something. Now, I'm not going to say that every single cover was like knocked it out of the park for me, but. Some of it was like really, really cool takes on some classic songs. So I I was definitely feeling that. And then, you know, audiophile that I am and the amount of time that I spend sort of messing around with that. I I found, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last time we were recorded, but the records shop that I went to had a bunch of like CDs and whatnot. They were like 
two for 10 or something like that. And so like I, I happened to see this uh, Angela Bofield Greatest Hits uh, CD and I was like, yoink, because she has a song that's like, I try, um, that I think is probably her biggest hit. I mean, she she has a couple others that were pretty big, but that's, I think, by far her biggest hit. Close your door And I want to give you It's one of those songs that like, you know, is like a really big test of a person's vocal ability because and it kind of reminds me of the conversation we were having about like uh, Jennifer Holliday and, you know, that song as far as it relates to musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's really big, powerful song and was using that to kind of tune the uh, my car. So there there you have it. That's kind of everything. And aside from that, I, you know, just been playing with some uh, records that I've heard uh, a bunch of times. I've just been in that kind of mood. So uh, the three that were in pretty constant rotation last week were uh, Most Deaf, Black on Both Sides, Public Enemy. Damn, what is that? I think it's Apocalypse 91, I want to say. And then also, uh, last but not least, J Electronica's uh, album. So that's been what I've listening to. Sounds all right. From the home of Mahalia, his uptown smile was gold like a Frankie Beverly day. His favorite song from Prince was not Raspberry Beret. It was sometimes it snows in April. He was brought up by the faithful in a cage of every unclean... For moi, I've been in an official mourning period since Halloween's been over. So I'm wearing my blackest veil around the house. I'm somber and leaving, you know, Salem love notes, but with goth writing. Um, He's very strange and unusual. (laughs) I myself am strange and unusual. Oh, God, I love Beetlejuice. Anyway, um, (laughs) I have been, I had a really busy week after uh, Halloween, which was a really fun time for me, but I had a really busy week at work, and I've been feeling very stressed, and one of the things that always calms me down, and I don't know why, but it's Philip Glass's soundtrack to The Hours. Oh. I thought you were going to say weed, but okay, continue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. That's a given. (laughs) But yeah, I find for whatever reason, whenever I'm like really overwhelmed and I've been busy at work and I'm like, okay, I really got to settle myself. I throw on the hour soundtrack and I swear to God, it just is like a musical velvet blanket that washes over me in a like a wave of anxiety and comfort. It's very weird. Like it's not a, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, maybe it is a, mm. I'd be interested to hear other people's notions of it because I find it a very calming album, but it's also a very somber album. Mm -hmm. It's all about how Virginia Madsen killed herself. Like, it's a really dark movie. And so... Virginia Woolf. Virginia Woolf! Oh, my God. Virginia Madsen is the actress who played Helen in Candyman. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for the correction. I just wanted to... But yes, Virginia Woolf. Anyway... uh, (laughs) Even the score delves into controversy. (laughs) (laughs) And our first official apology. (laughs) Virginia, are you there, God? It's me, Virginia. (laughs) Anyway. So I've been listening to the Hour soundtrack, but then also there was the announcement 
uh, that the Wicked movie is moving forward. Yes. And I'm a huge fan of that musical. So Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo have been cast. And I have had the Wicked soundtrack with Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth on repeat. So that was a pretty heavy rotation the last couple of days as that news swept over me. And I got really excited. That's cool. Very nice. Yeah. That was a good musical. Uh, yes. I'm... Really excited about the movie. I've been really wanting a film adaptation of it. And I think the casting that they've done and uh, who they've got behind the camera, it's John uh, Chu, who did In the Heights. And I think he did some Step Up movies. But yeah, okay. he's he's got a musical background. So I'm quite excited to see where he takes it. There's some chops going on there. They're putting some serious firepower behind it, which is really good. Yes. And that's what I think it needs is like... It needs a lot. It's a really fantastical tale. So you really need somebody with strong conviction and strong. You got to like tell the story right. Mm. There's some weird stuff going in that story. So yeah. Anyway, that's what I've been listening to. Anthony, in regards to the casting component of the Wicked movie, are you pro or anti James Corden being somewhere oh, no. there? Oh, no. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say Ariana. She's in the Queen. No, 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 no. James Corden. Ew. No, there's been petitions going around yes. to keep him off the movie. And that was my first bloody thought when uh, the casting was announced. I was like, don't let James Corden anywhere near that adaptation. Anywhere. He does not deserve to be anywhere near that movie. <laughs> yes. He is a not a good person no no there's a a classic reddit uh ask me anything where it just all of the comments were just anti james corden and ellen yeah oh (laughs) well yes but yeah it's just brutal so good glad to (laughs) hear that i'm no i do not want james corden anywhere near wicked because i know what they would be thinking is like oh he'd make a good time for the wizard and i'm like no no joel i didn't know he was controversial like i had to like hit the the googles just now to make sure we were talking about the same guy really like that the... he not only i find him to be unfunny because i have watched several james corden clips and i i really don't find him very funny in addition to that i've read the reddit uh threads about people experiencing james corden in real life and he sounds like a terrible person huge dick yeah he just, just doesn't dick. sound like a very nice person so no huh yeah Aside from him, you know, bringing down the film set, uh, I just don't want him anywhere near that show. Makes complete there's sense. so many more interesting people that you could cast in that, and he needs to stop. Well, there's just this, this constant watch. Like, when I was watching the trailer for Ocean's 8, I was like, all right, this is interesting. We've got kind of the, the woman version of Ocean's 11. And it's like, oh, and there's James Corden just randomly pop up in there. Then there's the Cats debacle, and there's James Corden dancing in the middle of, like, Hollywood Boulevard with a bunch of people promoting it, or whatever the musical was. He just No, that was Cinderella. Oh, it was Cinderella, that was... that's right. Ooh, that was rude. Like, it's just He brutal. was so rude in that video. Like, he's just, just everywhere. Like, why? Like, get it. Like, stay in the carpool karaoke thing. Like, stick there. But even that's unfunny, and just get out of here. He's like the cold play of comedians. Oh, no, no. Some, huh? some of us enjoy Sorry. Coldplay. Oh, no. Oh, shit. Did I just... <laughs> no, no, no. I usually... I There's usually... a whole lot of shitting on a whole lot of topics uh, I today, I was just going to say, man. I usually keep my Coldplay card to my chest, and I just threw that on the table really Hey, gently, it's so. a safe space to do so, yeah, but I, I had no idea. I mean, well, okay. Didn't pay enough attention to James Corden to know that he rubbed some people the wrong way, and definitely didn't know that people thought that Coldplay was a little overdone. I mean, I... 
I respect them. I don't have a whole ton of their uh, music personally, but I mean, I don't dislike them. Anthony, we'll try to fix you. Yeah. Let's put a pin in that. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Good. I, I see what you did there. Thank you. That, that's the, I'm yeah. here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Tip your waitresses. Uh, oh, oh, groan. I'm through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. Too late for second guessing. Jason, one quick question about going back to uh, the cover album from Michelle. Michelle and Dick. Yep. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite on that list? Because I'm looking at the track list and it seems really eclectic. So actually, I would venture to say the one that I find myself drawn to towards the most was the one that i've heard of but never really heard sometimes it snows in april okay was really really well done um to me i i was definitely feeling that definitely not the song to listen to when you're happy but it was it was interesting i was digging it i often dream of heaven i know tracy's there to digress too much but last night was like a late evening cookie run with my wife and i and we bundled up the dog so she wouldn't be miserable without us and yeah i just played it in the car on the way there just to sort of get a feel of it yeah that very very cool i mean some of the some of the takes you know like some people do a cover and play it pretty straight but this was not that album for the most part like some of these covers were very different from the original uh songs and i was like okay I see what you did there. I can respect it. Got to have fun with it. You got to play it up. I mean, you can't just do the same old, like you're covering exactly note for note. Then then it just gets boring. Mix it up. Well, make yeah. it your own. If you've ever, ever listened to Cher's ABBA album. <laughs> yes. It's true. Yes. It's everything you just said is true. It's it's straight up. It's just the sheriffied <laughs> version of ABBA. I mean, I think if you have the voice for it, sometimes you can get away with that. But you've got to, I don't know. Yeah, most times covers are better left alone but you know sometimes some folks can do it really really well and it's yeah, like and captures lightning in a bottle and exactly puts their own in, uh, like personal imprint on a song that you know you might have uh, like emotions or nostalgia for but to put their own spin on it and make it different i really uh, i respect that i always find those interesting enjoyable listens mm-hmm. well i think you dig it mm-hmm. i think you'd both dig it but i think especially um anthony since that you mentioned going back and listening to some of those albums and vibing off it i I think you uh dig that too but yeah it's good listen yeah no i'm definitely excited to check it out you haven't steered me wrong yet (laughs) it's very i try i try (laughs) well all right we have gone some places we have offended some people in what you listened to this week (laughs) fantastic uh so what we'll do is we'll take a quick break we'll hear from our sponsors and we will jump right into our fall days main topic Hey, Jason. Hey, what's happening? I don't know, Jason. Have you ever felt a little tangled and not so fresh down there? Oh my god, dude. Yes, all the freaking time. The nads get sweaty, man. It's a problem 
that I'm glad we can talk about. Yes, but there's help, man. I recently picked up a package from my new favorite company, Manscaped. Specifically, I happened to get the uh, performance package, and then, lo and behold, they saw fit to work with us uh, podcasters. But let me say this, uh, man, the lawnmower, awesome. You need that in your life, and you can get it without a prescription. Hey, Jason, I think you've really solved my problem with your balls-to-the-floor solution. I really appreciate this information, and I'm totally going to look up the lawnmower. Dude, you gotta. I mean, I, you know, I was dealing with Chef's chocolate salty balls for a long time, and now I can keep them puppies smooth. I, I spent all my young adult life waiting for hair all across my body, and then I got it, and I hate it. I'm constantly trying to get rid of it. It's good for, like, tummy hair. It's great for keeping the armpits under control. It's actually even pretty good for, like, us bearded fellows. You don't want to pull out the razor and sort of, like, shave up the scraggly ends outside of the beard. It's pretty good to just pull that out and, you know, zip, zip, and you're, you're all good. It's got a bunch of different uses. Hey, guys, are you talking about cleaning up hair? Yeah. You betcha, Don. Well, let me tell you, because I'm always a big fan of making sure that I've got no nose or ear hair visible. I don't want to become one of those older fellas that just has, like, forests coming out of nostrils and earlobes galore. So with Manscaped as well, you can get their Weed Whacker, which is a great little tool to trim those bad boys up above the belt, not only below. It, that That is a pretty good uh, uh, mention there, Don, because, man, there's nothing quite like playing with your ears or something like that and just feeling the fact that you have hair, which, you know, as a middle-aged something or other, is annoying as all hell. Because it's like, what does it do? It, it's just there for other people to call out and bring to your attention and for you to feel embarrassed and shame over. So, yeah, the, the, the Weed Whacker is pretty awesome for that and nose hair because, again... What the hell? We've all been pretty fortunate to receive some great devices from our new sponsor, Manscaped. So it's really going to help me make sure I'm looking my best. And, and Jason, like you said, making sure that all the hair is dealt with. Those products are, are helping me deal with everything above, below, around, wherever it is on my body. And they really do think of everything. They even give you little newspapers to like throw under your feet so that, you know, you don't have to go through hell trying to sweep up all the hair. So on that note, you know, if you uh, are a fan of this podcast and think that Manscaped can help you out, that you basically can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code soundtrack at manscaped.com. It's 20 freaking percent with free shipping. Did you say 20% off? 20% dude. And free shipping? Yeah, and free shipping. So go ahead and unlock your confidence and always use the right tool for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will frickin' thank you. All 
right, well, welcome back. Time for our main topic. So we're going to get into a uh, personal look into some of our favorite holiday TV shows, movies, soundtracks, all sorts of different things. And I think, Anthony, you were going to kick it off for us. Yes. So again, as I you know, joked earlier that I'm in my mourning period away from Halloween, I do enjoy Christmas. Uh, and I'd find this period of November to be uh, a little bit of the in-between. So... I always love to come back to this specific movie around this time of year, and I feel like it gets a pass as both a Halloween and a Christmas movie, which to me makes it the ultimate fall days movie. And I'm talking about, of course, The Nightmare Before Christmas. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? I've talked about my love of this movie. In fact, I'm filming this and I'm looking that there's a Jack Skellington in my Zoom window. So which is kind of amazing. But yeah, I cannot uh, talk about holidays without talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas. And again, it is a very debated topic about whether this is a Halloween movie or this is a uh, Christmas movie. And I do believe that it is both. It starts off as a Halloween movie. It turns into a Christmas movie. And then it turns into a horrific nightmare before Christmas. And then there's a happy ending. So just like Christmas, it all is wrapped up in a nice, pretty package. But yeah, I think what draws me to The Nightmare Before Christmas is its simplicity. It's just such a simple story of somebody wanting to do something different. Jack is bored with his Halloween life. It's easy to him. It comes every year and he really doesn't feel challenged. And so he challenges himself to, you know, go outside of his box and see what it is that, that's out there. And through his hubris, he learns that, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea to just jump right in and say, I'm going to do this. But he does so with Danny Elfman's soundtrack. And I absolutely love the music in this movie. The vocals by Catherine O'Hara, Paul Rubens, Danny Elfman himself. There's a lot of powerhouse talent in this. And, you know, just as a little movie trivia, this movie actually caused some rufflage of feathers between Danny Elfman and Tim Burton. Ooh. So what ended up happening was that Danny Elfman was really into the construction and he created the soundtrack and they had originally hired Chris Sheridan as the voice of Jack Skellington through the process of, you know, mixing the movie. They realized that Chris Sheridan's singing voice wasn't exactly as strong as it should have been. And so Danny Elfman ended up having to jump in and he filled in the singing voice for Jack Skellington. So Chris Sheridan does the speaking voice and Danny Elfman does the singing. And at that time, I think Tim Burton was going through a bit of a transition where he was becoming a bit of a Hollywood head, I guess, what you would say. And so through this process, they actually ended up disagreeing on several of the ways in which it was going. And they ended up having a bit of a break in their relationship. And this caused uh, Tim Burton to do Ed Wood without Danny Elfman. They ended up repairing their relationship and Danny Elfman has worked with him several times since, but... The end result of this movie was that there was a little bit of pressure and that there was a little bit of stress in the relationship. While that's a bit of a sad story, uh, I always like to pop on The Nightmare Before Christmas anywhere between Halloween and Christmas, and it gets a full pass because, like I said, there's this is Halloween to begin with, 
Um, but by the time you get to what's this, it's a full on Christmas carol. Like he's reveling in the Christmas spirit. So I don't know. I would kind of throw it to you guys. How do you feel about the fall days theme of the nightmare before Christmas? I mean, I certainly don't have a problem with it. I, I like the concept. I just, you know, this is something we'll talk about more when we sort of talk about our, our struggles with like trying to pull together the things that sort of fit this category. But one thing that I was sort of struck by was like sort of creating your own traditions can be pretty powerful. And I like the fact that this sort of supports that where it's like, who cares which one it's skewed towards? more clearly it's like it can be a new standard for this time of year and i'll allow it (laughs) (laughs) very well said i really like that messaging and i really do agree with it it lines up with the film it's the whole concept of kind of choosing your own way and yeah i think that's a really well great way of looking at it yeah i would absolutely agree with what both of you are saying about this idea of breaking out on your own doing something different and i think just the freedom of being able to do stuff like that not only is that mirrored in jack's story but also sally's story as well like she was created by whatever his name was dr frankenfurter yeah Yeah. something yeah but yeah, I, and, but she wants to escape. She wants to break free. She wants to do her own thing. So I, I think, yeah, it, it's a great sort of tale about just getting out of your rut. You've done the same thing over and over and over. You're good at it. Clearly, he's the king of Halloween Town, basically. So why not do something different? And I, I'm definitely in the camp of watch it anytime you want. It definitely fits in with the, the two sides of it, Christmas and Halloween. It's a great sort of match between the two. And for me, this has been a staple soundtrack and movie around this period of time for decades now. I remember working in my grocery store doing midnight shifts and I would just play the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack on repeat constantly, That's singing along to it while I'm so in the cooler. Good. It was It's just so good. And yeah. for me, the highlight is Ken Page playing Oogie Boogie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have this classically trained theater actor playing all these amazing roles on the stage and then transitioning into animated voice work because he did the voice of King Croc from All Dogs Go to Heaven. And then oh. he comes back and he does the So Let's Make Music Together, I believe was the song that he sang with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, and his dog yeah, character. yeah. Now he comes back and plays the big bad in Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, his voice is so good and so iconic. And Oogie Boogie's song is unbelievable that it's kind of lasted like throughout the Kingdom Hearts games. He comes back and does the voice. He's done voices of, like the same voice elsewhere as well. Like it's so good what he does with that work. So everybody in that movie's amazing. All of the songs are fantastic. It ties up really well. And I just saw recently that as we're starting to see people kind of reemerge back into public um, from the pandemic, that there was a big uh, concert at the Hollywood Bowl where they did a live version of Nightmare Before Christmas with Danny Elfman. Paul Rubens was back. Mm-hmm. And I believe Weird Al was one of either Lock, mm-hmm. Shock, or Barrel. So it still lives on in, in today. Like, And this movie was 1993. So we're seeing almost yeah. 30 years and- ago now. That live orchestra performance, Danny's been doing it for over 10 years now. Impressive. And uh, it's my goal to actually go see it live. Uh, And I'm currently talking with my partner, Salem, about us planning to do it next year. Because I don't think I can wait any longer. You know, when the theme of holidays came up, I was definitely struggling a little bit to find some 
appropriate movies that fell into this. So right away, Nightmare Before Christmas became my first choice. But for my second choice, I actually had to go look at a calendar of like holidays that are, you know, around October to November into December. And I was like, okay, I like, let's think out of the box of this one. So we're looking at fall days and I'm looking at this calendar and I'm going through all these days. And there was one that was like Red Planet Day which is all about Mars. And I was like, okay, maybe we'll like, we'll look at that and see what kind of, what I can pull from that. And I was like, no, nah, I can't really do anything with that. And then I got to November 28th and it is Chadwick Boseman day. And so Chadwick Boseman is the actor who played uh, T'Challa in Black Panther. And unfortunately he passed away and they've dedicated November 28th to his memory. Not only is he a fantastic actor in Black Panther, but just outside in general, he was a fantastic actor. The Black Panther soundtrack was huge for me. I listened to that soundtrack for an entire year that that movie came out. It was on rotation. I ordered a special vinyl copy from Disney that has... I'm jealous. I know, it's so gorgeous. It's got this etching of Black Panther on the D side, so it's a double disc. And on D side, it's got this beautiful etching of T'Challa in the Black Panther costume. Huh. <gasps> oh my god, it's so good. But, because we were talking about fall days, I was like, you know what? This is a great way to honor not only the memory of Chadwick Boseman, but to acknowledge the amazingness that is Black Panther. And anytime I can talk a little bit about that soundtrack... Uh, I'm always happy to bring it up because to me, it really signifies an, a really great example of a musician working hand in hand with filmmakers. And a lot of times you see music shoved into a movie or it wasn't necessarily thought of at that time. They were making the movie and then somebody comes on and they give their imprint on the story, which is a completely valid process. But what I love about the Black Panther soundtrack is it really is the director of Black Panther coming together with Kendrick Lamar and Ludwig Gorison, and the three of them literally coming up with the body of that soundtrack together with the movie so that it fit with the themes of the movie, what was going on in the film, but also the greater story that they were trying to tell through music. bring up Black Panther and I'm always going to talk about the soundtrack and I'm glad that in our discussions for fall days I was able to kind of pull this gem out and I am always interested to hear what you guys think. I'm on board. I think the Black Panther soundtrack is one of the best, if not the best, Marvel Cinematic Universe soundtrack. And I think it's because it's it's like you said, Anthony, they took serious care into making sure that the director went out to Kendrick Lamar and Ludwig Gordson and really purposefully talked about feeling and tone because I think they had to do that. I mean, you have marvel's first black-led superhero movie they they wanted to make sure that everything was put into it. it it's nice that they took the time and care to really go into depth into all the different elements 
not only in like whatever the movie produced, but also the the soundtrack. And yeah, it's fantastic. It's so well done. All of the accolades that it's received are well deserved. And I'm I'm really I like bring you bringing this into the conversation. I know since we've started this podcast, you've wanted to talk Black Panther soundtrack. So it's, I'm glad we could definitely fit it into um, the holidays episode here. Well, I'll just say that I kind of lit up inside and my heart grew three sizes that day <laughs> when you told me that uh there was a thing called chadwick boseman day and that it felt like it was germane to this conversation about holidays because i mean that soundtrack was so good I, I not to rehash everything you just said but i still i mean whenever those songs sort of pop up because I, I tend to keep all my songs sort of random like especially in the car uh, something from that there's so many really really good songs and like yeah it's the Kendrick Lamar album that never gets I mean, well I shouldn't say never it got a lot of attention and all that stuff but it's like it's it's just so good mm, um yes. I I think it may have been was it dead no 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 it was redemption redemption I think that came on like while I was like driving somewhere the other day and I was just like this is so hot and I, I just I I love the way that they fused in African music and just made it so like seamless seem exact that's the word I was reaching for it was so not obvious like it yes, was there it wasn't a, a predominant element of the music but it wasn't like hitting you over the head with it yes. it was just like it, it, yeah. subtlety and it just like added in different parts of it when it should it was never the dominating theme it was always the supporting kind of oh it was like everybody was lifting together to be like yep this is how magic is made <laughs> yeah but you know yeah miss me with that bullshit king's dead is definitely a hot song i <laughs> um, mine is that vince Sap- uh the vince staple song oops Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Oh, that is seriously. Every time it comes on, it's like one of those. Anyway, uh, I yeah, I just I'm so excited that I found this day. I I think I knew of it, and every time you know it came around, it's only been because I believe Chadwick passed away in 2019. That sounds about right. It was relatively recent. It was just like like, damn, damn. And it was only like about a year after Black Panther had been made that he passed. So I'm pretty sure, yeah, that it was like 2019 that he passed. Um, so we've only had two years of this. Um, but I'm excited that, you know, on November 28th, I hope people can put on the Black Panther soundtrack, give it a listen, give it a watch on different Disney Plus, give Chadwick Boseman the watching and respect and... The attention that he deserves and the soundtrack deserves. One of the interesting things um, in regards to just Black Panther in general is because so many people are linked to the characters and it did so well, we're continuing to see and hear the music into different areas. So with the big release of What If... On Disney Plus, mm, like there's some yes. very focused episodes on Chadwick Boseman's performance as as Black Panther, like when he becomes um, Star Lord, as opposed to continuing on and, and being Black Panther. And then with Killmonger, like there there's a huge focus of that. So you get those themes continuing on into later stuff. So you're it feels like that's going to be 
all like a lot of the other marvel movies can be really forgettable in certain ways and you can kind of ignore it. black panthers just seems like it's going to be the one touchstone that's going to be continued on for for decades and decades and i know they're currently working on a tv show for disney disney plus to bridge into black panther 2 and of course with the death of chadwick boseman like how are they going to do stuff like that and it seems like there's going to be this really interesting wakandan political thriller tv show like what do you do when the king's dead and there's no heir and it'll be really interesting to see how they bridge bridge it into that next movie the other thing that i'm not to to sit on this topic for too long i feel like that soundtrack in particular we had this conversation before about how sort of the big motion picture soundtrack like the thing that may have actually made you go and watch the film because it was like so good type soundtrack kind of died for a long period of time i feel like that particular soundtrack was sort of like somebody taking the paddles to the whole thing and like giving it a really really big jump and i say that because like i think even ever since then like there hasn't been that sort of energy behind the soundtrack since but like it really sort of came out of nowhere just like this really fantastic thing that you know before and after that there just wasn't anything to compare it to I wonder if that speaks to the consciousness of of what Anthony was saying, how they went to Ludwig and Kendrick and really said, like, we want to put the proper thought behind this. Anthony, what do you think? I think that outside of a lot of, like, even Disney musicals, like uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is coming out with Encanto in a couple weeks, and that's a specific soundtrack that he created. So I'm finding that, yeah, it's still rare, but that was one of the biggest soundtracks of the last, like, 10 years. Like, it really hasn't been replicated since, and it really was uh, a really good melding. Um, So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where the second soundtrack goes. Um, Again, with the loss of Chadwick, but, you know, new moving into it, but it'll be really interesting. I'm excited. Very much so. I ain't gonna hold you. I ain't gonna pressure. Never control you. I ain't gonna front you. Keep it 100. I don't know you. Boss like top dog. Boss my life up crossing over. Started stepping. Got a hall of fame and all my poster. I've been ready. My whip been ready. Well, I think I'm up next. So I brought two to the conversation today, and they're a little bit different. So Jason and I were kind of talking, um, Anthony, before you popped on, and it's just an idea of uh, what we were kind of looking to bring to the table to today's conversation. And the thing that I kind of thought about was that because, Anthony, you and I are Canadian, like Thanksgiving falls differently than to American Thanksgiving. So classically, I don't adhere to American Thanksgiving sort of media. So there are things like a Charlie Brown special about thanksgiving there's planes trains and automobiles hot great movie but definitely more geared towards american thanksgiving that i just i i like i respect but it doesn't speak to me so i decided to do really kind of look at the calendar the way that anthony did didn't find chadwick boseman day but i found just two other major holidays that i wanted to kind of take a look into and bring to today's table because there are two specific movies that jump right to those holidays that I think really do, I, I really enjoy and have fantastic soundtracks. The first one is V for Vendetta. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. V for Vendetta is all around um, November 5th, which is Guy Fox Night or Bonfire Night. And it's, I think, a fantastic movie that 
t- details the the kind of the Guy Fox story, but more modern, anti-establishment, anti-capitalism, anti-monarchy, anti-government, like really sort of what a lot of the issues that we're experiencing today, I mean, they really highlighted in the film back in, I believe it was 2005. And that soundtrack, I think, is amazing. And the movie is great. It's, um, it is attributed a lot to the Wachowskis, who were just coming off of The Matrix, but the Wachowskis actually just wrote it and then passed it along to James McTeague, who was kind of a, an up-and-comer in the film industry, but really, I think, took the film, took the source material, which is a graphic novel, and really ran with it. So I think they do great things with it. The, the movie is really interesting. I mean, it's very classically a, a story kind of set in kind of this modern mentality about what the establishment is doing to the downtrodden and how the downtrodden could rise up. And it's, I think, really well done. Um, we got Hugo Weaving in there, Natalie Portman doing fantastic things. And the the score itself, so the music was written by Dario Marianelli. And I think there's this one track specifically, it's Evie Reborn, where Natalie Portman's character has gone through this massive transformation and comes out the other side, really understanding what is happening and kind of adhering to V's plan for Parliament. So I really do like what um, that movie was doing, especially given that it feels like Bonfire Night is sort of waning in ways. Um, Jason and I are a part of a Twitter group, uh, and one of our um, friends there, B, I got her to talk about um, Bonfire Night in the UK because that's where she's situated, and it sounds like it's getting a little bit belabored and just more focused on the fireworks and commercialization, and it just it kind of gets away from the idea of what it originally was meant to do, and not that it needs to adhere that much to what it originally was meant to do, but um, I think it definitely is getting a little bit more commercialized, and it seems like it's also getting to be a point of contention with communities and neighborhoods because it's being used for a bit of kicking up in ways that probably aren't exactly safe or legal and it's causing some issues so thanks to B for the information there and it's just an interesting sort of look at Guy Fox Night and Bonfire Night and utilizing that as a basis like utilizing the characters and, and really pulling it into a really interesting movie have either of you seen Fever Vendetta any thoughts on it I haven't. I've never seen it, and I've always wanted to see it. I love Natalie Portman, and I love her bald, so I think that movie has a lot going for me, and for some reason, I just never have a chance to, like, pick it up. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat um, as uh, Anthony with this one. It's one of those things where it's like, I remember the poster for it. I was like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. The closest I ever got to it was... Uh, 2005 that was like right around the time like my first sort of uh, attempt at grad school and i happened to uh have a friend in my classes at the time whose last name was vendetti and uh you know obviously the the link between those two things was you know there was some of that going on but no i never saw the movie i it, i'd wanted to and unfortunately can't contribute much more than that no no worries i mean it's definitely taken a bit of a twist now with the um hacker group anonymous taking on the guy fox mask and doing what they are doing with it so it i mean it, if you get a chance if it pops on randomly on a streaming service give it a try uh, natalie portman i think is a outstanding actress and yeah natalie portman bald is even better uh, <laughs> but it's really well done like well choreographed um fights really 
really interesting story great music um you can never go wrong with the stephen fry appearance somewhere in your movie so yeah definitely give it a go but yeah it's probably not the the go and seek it out and buy it or own it or whatever but it's it's really fun well it's i mean movie aside what what about the music drew you to like is there a special standout uh song or part of the score that attracts you to it or definitely it's the evie reborn there's just this build to it and i think it's the standout track on the entire soundtrack the rest of it's really interesting and kind of it it incorporates a lot of traditional classical music into it kind of something that i was mentioning last uh, in our last episode about how there's um, classical music being utilized in squid game kind of the same thing here but definitely more british there's an incorporation of the british um, god save the queen and um a lot of, I believe, 1812 overtures somewhere in there, a lot of other classical um, scores and elements built in because it's kind of recreating this idea of an older older time, an older mentality around taking down Parliament. But the Evie Reborn song, I think just it, because it is this idea of Natalie Portman going through this really torturous process to kind of bring her, wake her up to what is happening around her and to get her on board with the plight of oppressed people like she she's in this kind of imprisonment and v puts her into it but she she's meant to think that she's next to another prisoner and they're sliding notes and she's reading this story about this woman who has to um repress her uh, homosexuality because the government's oppressing that like this is a really significantly stringent oppressive government and she this woman's been imprisoned for loving a woman and so evie's reading these notes and and v's kind of feeding her this this material about what her government's actually doing and finally at the end when she's broken and she's ready to kind of be released v lets her go and she goes up under the roof and the rain falls and she kind of wakes up and the the music really swells and just goes so emotionally big with this one moment because it's kind of the the crux of the movie that's definitely the song that captured me and you can hear it once you hear it kind of once in the movie and you kind of listen to the soundtrack you'll hear it everywhere else now it's kind of one of those tracks that gets adopted into other areas like top gear used it for an episode when they were driving across a bridge like in this epic grandscape it's like you kind of missed the point but i understand it's a great (laughs) song but i think that's the one that has captured me since i first saw the movie and still kind of lives with me to this day fascinating okay I'm going to have to check that out later. Definitely. The second movie, I think we'll all have something to chat about, though. So I wanted to talk about Coco because it revolves around November 2nd's Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos. I believe I got that right. Nailed it. (laughs) But um, as we were talking about, um, we were talking about Soul and we were getting to that at that point i hadn't seen coco and it was kind of on that on my radar because it was the missing pixar movie that i hadn't captured and since that record and i think i even talked about it in the subsequent episode i saw it and it has jumped 
all the way to the top of my Pixar rankings. Like it is so unbelievably good, unbelievably, unbelievably emotional beyond anything that Pixar I think has done. Up had like a tearjerker moment in the first little bit. The Coco ending is just crushing. It is so good, but that movie is beautiful. It's well written. It's so beautifully designed well acted by everybody but of course it has just an unbelievable michael giacchino soundtrack and music by the lopez um, married couple who are raking in egots left right and center for their work but i think they really excelled with um remember me on that soundtrack and um i cry every time i hear it it's it's so good i start to tear up every time i think about it to be honest with you <laughs> when miguel plays it for his grandpa it's hard. It it that hard. Like and even like they even kind of preface it where what's his name? I need to figure out the Hector. Hector. Yeah, Hector is playing for like his dying friend as he's mm. being forgotten. Oh. Like even that's like starting to get the tears like going. It's like, "Oh, good grief. Like you're even starting with this character that I haven't met for more than 3 seconds. Like come on, man." And then yeah, hitting it with at the end with Miguel and Mama Coco, I was like, it's just, oh my good grief, you're gonna do this to me now? Like, this is how you're gonna leave me, Pixar? Remember me Though I have to travel far Remember me Each time you hear a sad guitar Know that I'm with you But, I mean, that score is brilliant the music is amazing and what better way or what better holiday to represent in the bright colorful pixar style than the day of the dead like sugar skulls and unbelievable cover color and vibrancy and life in a day representing for the dead like it's so amazing what they're able to do with it so that was my second choice. And I know both of you have some experience with it. So I want to open up the floor to either of you, or well, of course, both of you to talk about your, your enjoyment of Coco. Yeah. I almost felt like I, I, I didn't want to touch this one because we had covered it before, but it's just, it's so, there's so many things I could say about this film because of how powerful that music is. And, you know, thinking about, as you were talking about, I'm like, do I consider the funny thing, I, yeah, I mean, I guess it's the score for Coco. It, it like it sort of sits in this place where it's not what I traditionally consider a score, mm-hmm. but it's not really a soundtrack either, right? Like right. because you have a handful of sort of not even remixes, but variation of the "Remember Me" on the actual soundtrack, and I'm doing that with air quotes or whatever for the podcast listening audience. But it's such a powerful song that it's like it, you almost didn't need like a bunch of compliments to it. I would have been fascinated to see what like a uh, what a music inspired by the film soundtrack would look like because I think that could have been really good. Like if they had opened up, you know opened up to a lot of different artists, especially if they had any sort of connection to Latinidad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just. What you said, I mean, I don't know if there's much more that can be said about it. It is such a tearjerker. It's such the concept of, you know, us living through the memory of our ancestors or whatever, or I guess our our progeny, like, you know, the the kids that we have, whatnot. That's that's so deep. Like, you know, I mean, 
regardless of how you feel about the afterlife or whether there is one or what have you, just that notion in and of itself is so powerful because it's like you really, you know, if you're remembered, you're remembered. And it's, it's, I mean, and the hard part is to try to do anything memorable, even if on the smaller scale within your sort of your family unit, folks remember you that you could sort of just be around them and live with them. It's, it's, it's really deep. It's really heartstring tugging. It's, yeah, I, I would imagine that if I popped on Coco right now on the TV and watched it again, I would have the exact same reaction because it's just, it did. It brought tears in a way that I don't think any sort of, um, yeah, you mentioned Up. Up had it, but it just, it was on a different level. And it kind of actually also made me think how cool it would be if they actually redo uh, Kingdom Hearts in the not-too-distant future to have some of uh, mm. the Pixar properties like as a part of the gameplay because those games take you through a pretty cool retelling of all of their their franchises or whatever, but like they were old enough that they're just certain contexts that they don't cover. So it'd be really cool to see that sort of stuff incorporated. That would make for one hell of a level. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that man. Really trippy. <laughs> and, and, and the way that, like, the consoles are now, like, if you think about New York and um, the Spider Man games, like, mm. imagine the oh Land of the Dead being Holy. rendered on PS5 and just being able to go through that. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Coco kind of was one of those Pixar movies that I usually try to stay on top of the Pixar releases and see them in theaters. For some whatever reason, I didn't get a chance to see Coco in theaters. And so when I finally did sit down and watch it at home, I was blown away, particularly by the soundtrack. Michael Jean, Jean, Michael G. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can never pronounce his last name properly. Um, but yeah, I obviously have been a lifelong fan for him. So not only were the, was the music incredible, but I distinctly remember one... It dealt with death for kids in a very straightforward way, which is always, I love media that addresses death as a very real topic, and it doesn't water it down or dumb it down for kids. I think that's such an important thing, and I think it has so much value. I recently rewatched, or I watched the new Muppets uh, Haunted Mansion on Disney+. Plus. They have this new Muppet special, and we watched it, because a friend of mine who... Uh, she wanted to come and celebrate for my birthday and she doesn't do horror, but she knows I do. So she's like, can we watch something Disney spooky? So we watched this new Haunted Mansion and I was actually really impressed about how dark it was. It really referenced death and it made reference to the act of death. And so that was something that I always appreciate from a kid perspective. And so for even like 12 year old Miguel in the movie to have a concept of death. And I know Mexican culture has a very different view of death and typical North American views. So I loved that there was this acknowledgement and that was the front and center of the story. Second was Mama Imelda and Miguel's relationship and their whole, you know, you have to adhere to the family design and you have to, and I was like, whoop, oh, unintentional queer uh, themes coming through here. And so I really identified with Miguel in that movie because his whole journey with Mama Imelda and how he can't play the guitar and, you know, the reasons why she's afraid of him playing the guitar. I was like, that's a queer analogy. That is exactly how my mother responded to my homosexuality. Not that she hated it, but that she was fearful of me because she didn't understand. And so that whole concept that a Mama Imelda and Miguel have 
was universal to me. It took place in this universe, but I was like, that is such a, a universal story. So I don't know what that has to do with the fall it is, but good choice, Don. No, good it, choice. <laughs> no, I was, I, that's kind of the beauty of the topic, I think, that we, or the topics that we bring to the podcast, that we can just jump off and because we're looking at it from completely different lenses. And I, it, I think that's completely understandable that you're picking up those vibes from Coco. Maybe not implied. I think that what they did with, um, uh, what was the movie that they did afterwards where they were in Italy? The, the Luca. Luca. Oh, like, I did not like Luca. And we can do ooh, an entire... We're going to have to get yeah. into that. Oh, yeah. I'd break that down. But that was one of my most hated movies of this year. Oh, jeez. Really? That's going to be I, interesting. I found it incredibly offensive. Wow. It's really bad. I really didn't like it. I haven't anyway, seen it yet, but okay. I was. Yeah, it was something ooh. on my list to see. And okay, interesting. And, you know, it, frustrated the hell out of me because it was so beautiful and it had me up into the middle of the movie and then it just it made a character of a story choice that completely derailed it for me and i was so angry that i couldn't get over it wow i couldn't get past it i really didn't like it teaser for a future episode yeah if you really want to get into it we can definitely do a disney episode and i can do a whole video essay on why i did not like luca no fair but i think coco i think universally liked fortunately in this podcast yeah it, yeah, it yeah. is so well done and yeah i think it can continually draw out material for for additional conversations because there's so much in it for everybody like anthony if you're pulling out the queer vibes and jason you talking about just this like having a legacy for me like nothing has been more more recent in kind of connecting it to coco i was at a a camera store there was this thing where um these guys would come in from the states into our little camera store and they would buy old camera equipment for cash or store credit and i'm sitting in line with this little dinky digital camera that i bought a long time ago but there are these two people in front of me and they brought in probably tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment like lenses the size of fish bowls and both had the exact same story they were all this camera equipment from father-in-laws who had passed and it kind of hit me in thinking about this episode and thinking about coco and thinking about like the respect for the dead and the legacy that the dead kind of leave behind in ways and how memories like they can they can fail and you have all this stuff and and it just eventually kind of goes and it just kind of really brought to the the top of my head in connection with re-watching coco for the episode it's just like that's some serious stuff this like I that I hadn't really thought about before. I was never I'm never an individual who thinks about death. I don't care about my legacy afterwards. But in thinking in looking at Coco and in kind of being in this situation, it kind of just gets me like thinking top of mind. Like I wonder what people are really thinking about it. Like what is that to them? And for the Mexican culture, I mean, what is that? Like what pressures are on people to have a legacy or to have offspring so that they are remembered in ways or what happens with individuals like me who has no kids what is what's going to be my legacy that i leave behind so now i'm on that existential cliff just kind of peering off into the the abyss and waiting for myself to kind of fall into it so it's just there's so much that you can pull out of of death as a topic but i think coco really sort of draws it out in this beautiful way with fantastic music but really interesting sort of subject matter that that you can just pick apart in so many different ways shapes and forms so yeah that was my pick for my holidays good stuff cheers well i guess that only leaves me right so i i <laughs> I 
didn't get nearly as creative sort of uh, reaching for holidays. I kind of struggled with trying to figure out what this holidays or what, you know, being a person who doesn't watch a ton of films anyway, like what this means to me in terms of like what films actually stick out or and then sort of turning to its music as a, a follow up. I really struggle with that because there are very few things that I seek out in the holidays. But then for the there are a couple of things I do kind of seek out. And one of them is uh, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I, I think, you know, if there's a Charlie Brown film for a particular time of year, I'm probably trying to watch it just because Peanuts was just a heavy part of my childhood period. You know, reading the comics and like the Sunday papers, getting those like for those that are able to remember this sort of thing, there were like little paperback books that had like the comic strips directly in it. Not exactly like the Garfield books. They were much smaller and sort of compact than that, but they were like the comics from Peanuts. I used to read all those all the time just because I identify with the characters. And then the art style for some of those made them like even younger than what you commonly see in like in the films and whatnot. And it was just adorable. So turning to that, you know, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and like listening to the music, I think what I was struck by uh, with that soundtrack is, you know, and obviously this is the the Vince uh, uh, Giraldi uh, trio sort of, although, you know what, uh, let me strike that trio part. I don't think this there was a trio for this anymore. Uh, and the reason I say that is because there was some... Um, you know, with the Christmas album, I think it was just the piano, the bass, and gosh, I'm crashing on what the third instrument was. For this, there was definitely the addition of the flute and a few other instruments that weren't there before. So clearly not the trio working on this anymore. And I guess it's interesting that there is some, I mean, there's definitely moody jazz, right? But like, to see jazz sort of strike this ominous sort of spooky tone that i mean like in a kid's way but like it was really pretty clever like uh the you know the the great pumpkin waltz kind of eerie but like really you know and I, I don't know if it's just because of like the heavy use of like minor chords or whatever that just sort of give it that that feel but yeah man that that is a great bit of jazz that maybe is kind of underappreciated cuz it's like i mean and i don't know one thing i noticed when i was like listening to the soundtrack is like all of the the cartoon effects that are kind of like sprinkled in throughout the songs and i'm like i hope that if i were to find that album that that isn't actually the case because like the just the straight up music is just so nice um and i would totally play that not just for halloween but really like for a lot of the other like holidays that are sort of like festive it just it has a feel to it that sort of fits the holidays but at the same time it definitely feels kind of halloweeny too it's it's sort of hard to describe but i i was really digging that definitely curious to hear what you guys think about it i always think of i don't know why but i guess when we did a lot of holiday stuff we would always rotate around and for whatever reason whenever we were out my specific aunt maria and uncle peter's house i remember us always seeing charlie brown stuff and so it was like every time i was there we never really watched peanut stuff at home so whenever i think of 
anything Charlie Brown, I always think of going over to my family, my aunt and uncle's place, and we would watch something for that specific holiday. I remember The Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown kind of being boring for me. Because, and I know, and this is not because I've, like, since rewatched it, and I was like, okay, I understand why. And for whatever reason, the Bon Voyage Charlie Brown I had watched first, and that's where Charlie Brown goes to France, and there's this, there's a very foreboding soundtrack on that one as well. And that one freaked me out. So when I watched The Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, I was actually less spooked out by it. I was a little bored by it. Because I think Bon Voyage Charlie Brown had been so, like, earth shattering for me that I was a little like, Oh, I think Charlie Brown, the pumpkin, the great pumpkin is a little bit lackluster. Again, I've since come back to it and I've like, okay, as an adult, I can appreciate the enjoyment that someone can get out of this. But yeah, it's definitely never one of my like specific ones that I go and seek out. But yeah, I find it's a definitely good soundtrack. Like that is, yeah, I love those jazz vibes. Yeah, I'm on board with Great Pumpkin, for sure. Um, We picked up a uh, Charlie Brown Christmas disc that had some bonus tracks on it, and it has some of the Great Pumpkin tracks that are free of the soundtrack, or of the like the sound effects like pulled from there. So yeah, they are go-tos whenever this season hits. Um, I was obsessed with Charlie Brown holiday specials from a really young age. And Jason, I think you and I talked about this. Charlie Brown, like It's a Great Pumpkin, is the thing that I will have to see during the Halloween season to make sure that it feels like Halloween to me. I can quote it. I know the hits. And I know exactly what you're talking about. The way that music is utilized in this special to build that emotional impact. And I think for me, it's specifically around Snoopy's story. When he's behind enemy lines going across France, quote unquote, and Breathless is playing. So the song is entitled Breathless. And it's just the way that the drums are just kind of, there's just this kind of constant beat going on in the background. It must be like the kind of the fans that they use to hit the the tom. And... I don't know if it's a clarinet or if it's a a bassoon or oboe, but there's this wind instrument that's just playing this sort of trilly up and down kind of theme throughout. And it's just, it's so eerie and it's, it builds the emotion of Snoopy trapped behind like World War One enemy lines that I would never experience as a young Canadian boy in like the 80s and 90s. Like you just, you would never experience that. But for me, I felt it. Like I felt like there's some serious danger for Snoopy in this moment. And the the way the visuals go with it is unbelievable. And I think everything paired with that seg- that sequence throughout the special is everything for me. <laughs> Everything else is fantastic as well. Like the the Great Pumpkin Waltz is amazing. Linus doing his thing is fantastic. I think everything that they're doing in that special, both visually and musically, is just it's top notch for me. And I think it's it's one of the best representations of a a solid older Halloween classic that I think will live on continually. Like that, and I don't know. I really don't know what else will continue on. For me, it's the Garfield Halloween special, which is way oh, too sure. spooky than it should be. I agree. That was some dark shit, yo. <laughs> it is. It's intense. Yeah. I watched that yeah. just the other day as well, and it was yeah, it was crazy. But Charlie Brown, it's it's the Great Pumpkin. Charlie Brown is is it for me? 
Yeah, it's definitely classic. Mm -hmm. So, and I, you know, Anthony, I I definitely don't feel, you know, shaded or anything about feeling like it, it, Bon bon Voyage or whatever is great. And it's definitely dark and moody or whatever. It probably could have been done in a way that sort of made it like a Halloween treatment without like much difficulty. But I don't know. Like, I just, yeah, it, it just, it sort of, flips the rules on what jazz typically is i mean because jazz can be sad but you don't really think about jazz as sort of like teetering on this sort of spooky place and i I think you know this does this pretty well and it's it's one of those things where it's like i'm gonna have to keep an eye out for the soundtrack and hope that you know it's scrubbed of like the little cartoon effects that we were talking about because yeah the music is just really good and it's different and like even even linus and uh lucy like everybody's heard that a million times or whatever it was done slightly different than any other line of sin lucy that i had heard before so it's like just those little touches or whatever it's like i mean you know it doesn't with jazz it doesn't take much to make like the same thing different but i mean i just i appreciate how it was kind of done throughout the only other thing i had to talk about here with respect to sort of holidays and I, i'm i'm throwing christmas in here man because it's only a few days removed I kind of forgot about sort of it's been a while since I've sat down and like listened to sort of any retelling of um the you know the Charles Dickens uh, a Christmas uh carol or whatever. So when I saw that on Disney Plus, you know, I was like and I'm looking for something for my wife and I to watch. I was like, let's let's turn this on cuz I I don't really remember if I saw it a long time ago. I think I may have, but I was just kind of interested to see how the Muppets sort of did their spin on the whole thing. And I was really pleasantly surprised because as I was telling Don uh, Anthony before you got here, you know, Kermit's voice is not like, it's not like, I mean, whenever Kermit sings, Kermit's like sort of true to character. It's not like he pulls out like, you know, this really elegant, smooth voice when he sings. Like, you know, he's singing like Kermit, right? So I wouldn't necessarily consider this his song, his uh, musical contributions throughout that film is like beautiful except for the fact that the lyrics that he was singing are actually really kind of powerful if you like take the time to listen to them um again kermit's voice notwithstanding it just it was really like some of the lyrics actually really caught me by surprise because i forgot what song it was but um he had a line something to the effect of in again sort of dealing with the whole subject of like death and uh ebenezer scrooge which of course you know the story is the same regardless how it's told but like sort of facing down his own mortality and his lack of contribution to anything positive in the world Kermit had said something to the effect of like, you know, you're sort of judged by the amount of uh, friends you have or you that you've touched throughout the course of your life or something like that. Or you're measured by the amount of friends that like you have after you've passed. And I was like, I looked at my wife and I was like, oh, we're in trouble. (laughs) But no, but I mean, but regardless of whether that's really true or not, um, like just the fact that some of those elements were contained within the, the the lyrics themselves was really impressive to me. Uh, there was like another line and now I'm totally blanking on what it was that sort of hit the same way. And I was just like, this is really pretty elegant for something that's aimed more directly uh, at kids. And it's, uh, again, obviously it's a, a nice retelling of, uh, you know, that story. But I just, I found myself really sort of enamored by the music in the moment 
regardless of the singing voice. And I guess it just goes to show that sometimes a well enough written song, as long as certain rules are sort of followed, it doesn't really matter who's singing it. It's it's more so about what's contained in it. Yeah. So interested to hear uh, your takes on that too. There's magic in the air this evening, magic in the air. The world is at her best, you know, when people love and care. The promise of excitement is one the night will keep. I am a huge Muppet fan. (laughs) I love the Muppets. I think they're um, a really wonderful, smart, clever avenue for kids to get some difficult topics. I really do think that Jim Hansen brought that to the Muppets early on, even though it was for kids, there was an adult element to it that kind of trans, you know, transcended just this like kids for show with puppets. So Muppet Christmas Carol was staple for me. I remember, I think I was singing the um, Scrooge song. Here comes Mr. Bumbug. I always pop that on. It's a classic Disney. Well, and actually the Muppets, this is the first movie that was made by Disney. Because they had purchased the rights, and so this was the actual first movie of Muppets into the Disney Kingdom. And I think it carries so much of Jim Henson's heart in it. And I think there are so many good songs in it that are really just very sentimental. And like you said, Jason, I think they really do carry us a thoughtful message. Which to me always kind of brings it back to the Rainbow Connection. For me, the Muppets is such a a musical-based entertainment so the Mm -hmm. fact that they use songs throughout consistently i think is an important part of their element um and so every time i hear kerbet singing a song again i was like he's done it you know with the rainbow connection so to bring him back to that thoughtful lyrical space um i think is true to the the form of the character and the form of the muppets itself yep I would agree. Uh, I think it even stretches back a little bit further with Henson's connection to Sesame Street. Sesame Street was dealing with serious topics in a really smart way for children. I mean, the death of, I believe it was Mr. Hooper, that's a serious, significant episode in Sesame Street's history, and it teaches kids that death exists. And I think there's that proper emotional element that Henson then incorporated into The Muppet Show and into the movies and at subsequent properties. Like, there's just, we need to approach serious topics with kids in in really smart ways and in serious topics just in general. But you can obviously do it in really fun musical ways, like, or there's really there's fun musical elements of their movies and their products as well um unfortunately muppet christmas girls my one blank spot when it comes to muppet products mm. it's the one mm. thing i haven't seen yet i've seen all of the muppet movies i used to love the muppet show like with it kind of coming back onto disney plus i've watched it since and it's just i don't know why i haven't seen muppet christmas carol it just never happened so that is something i'm gonna have to remedy as we get into the december holiday season and i'll have to watch that once the snow falls and i can then at that point report back but i know the the impact i know it's significant i know obviously we all know the christmas carol story but i'm sure it's fantastic and jason hearing you tell it i mean it it's something i'm looking forward to seeing and enjoying and getting into the the music and the story of it yeah well the good thing is it's it's there on disney plus now so whenever you decide to get around to it it's there waiting for you i also like pairing this Meppa's christmas carol with the mickey's christmas carol um Hmm. which was the little yeah there's like this little 22 minute episode 
that they did for uh, probably a Sunday, you know, a um, Wonderful World of Disney night. And so it's just this episode of the retelling of Christmas Carol. It's 22 minutes of, it's really well done. I think it's a really cute little nostalgic tourist telling of the story. Um, so yeah, that's always usually what I pair it with is when I watch Muppets Christmas Carol and then I'll wrap it up with a Mickey's Christmas Carol. And then I'm like, okay, I get it. Charles Dickens, we're done for the year. God, can you write anything else? <laughs> uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol kills me every single oh, yeah. year. You cannot take the iconic Mickey Mouse and kill his kid and have no. him like holding... Tiny Tim's crutch, like yes, and being like, "Oh, I guess he's out of the picture." Now. And like and the like the classic epitome of death, like pointing its bony finger to Scrooge McDuck. Like it's just that one; it it kills me every single year. So I will have to join Anthony in the linking mm. of the two together. What order do you watch them, Anthony? I usually go Muppets Christmas Carol and then Mickey's okay. Christmas. That Carol. is what I will do because I'm like well. I want the the full story and the songs. And then I just need a little recap. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I may have to, even though I just watched the Christmas Carol again, I'll probably do that again as it gets closer to Christmas and then sprinkle that in. And then, I'll, you know, honorable mention, I'm not going to talk about it now, but like another one that sort of fits into that canon for me, even though it's not Disney at all, is a uh, um, freaking, what is, uh, the green thing, uh, the Grinch. Grinch. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Actually, it, did either of you see the new Grinch that they did? No. I mm. was super surprised about how good it was. The Ooh. voice cast, Benedict Cumberpatch, is the Grinch. And the soundtrack is actually really fun. It's got... Uh, oh, fuck, I can't even remember off the name. Anyway, like as we're talking about these fall days and the Grinch, I would definitely recommend the new Grinch. I was really surprised about how much I enjoyed it. Huh. Well, I may have to add that in. I was thinking of the animated Grinch. Oh, the um, original, original. The original, original, yeah, but yeah, yeah. fair and fair enough. Burl Ives. You yes. mean one. Mr. Grinch. Guys, we should treat our listeners to a karaoke session one day. I'm down with that. I'm just saying. I'm Okay, will they still be our, our fans after is the question. In our final episode of even the Yeah, season. right. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be our send-off episode. Exactly. <laughs> my honorable mention, and this is really deep cut and really just for my own, like, slice of pie mind. But when you said holidays, I tried to be like, okay, I'm going to do something around Labor Day. And then I wanted to include the scene from Mommy Dearest where she says you're not allowed to wear white shoes after Labor Day and then she kills Patty Hearst. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to make that work into the podcast episode. So my honorable mention is to the John Waters movie Serial Mom and that one scene with Kathleen Turner where she's like, you can't wear white shoes after Labor Day. And then clubs her over the head with the phone. The end. <laughs> end scene. Perfectly fit. <laughs> And I, I think my recommendation would be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Easy enough, Thanksgiving. We don't see enough Thanksgiving movies out there. Definitely fit that in. And I think before it went really ham, the How I Met Your Mother Slapsgiving episodes were always fun. I hmm. never got into that show, but I have heard of that. Somebody tried to slap me for Slapsgiving once, and I was like, don't even try. I think I need to watch this show before. Yeah, I would, yeah before you start slapping people, make sure that they understand the context of yeah. what you are slapping them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scandal. Didn't go over well. Yeah, I, I never saw that one either. Um, but now you've got something. Oh, oh, okay. It's South Park. I was like, 
why am I hearing slap like in it's uh. it's that one uh, I'm gonna slap you slap you silly like whatever I I can't even remember but now it's in my head so thank you all very much hey anything for you Jason mm-hmm. get stuck in your head we help <laughs> exactly. Uh. <laughs> Well, that was a great uh, discussion about the holiday episodes. Hopefully, everybody's having a happy holidays to themselves. We're going to drive that terminology into the ground, guarantee it. Um, we will get prepped for proper holiday season for December. I'm sure we'll be talking about uh, our favorite Christmas and other celebrations in the December and January months coming up soon. If you haven't already listened to our past uh, holiday episode, go back into the catalog of Even the Score and uh, listen to our uh, Christmas episode. Fantastic discussions there. We had a good time, but we'll be, I'm sure, repriving that, uh, reprising that very soon here. Uh, but of course, as you go back into the catalog for Even the Score, we want you to subscribe to our show, rate and review our episodes, uh, specifically on Apple Podcasts, if you find us there. Uh, you can go ahead and also listen to us on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music as well. We're everywhere, wherever you can find podcasts. If you are going to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and uh, make sure that you give us five stars and write us a nice review. We always like it. Uh, also make sure that you are following us on social media accounts we are on twitter and instagram at even the score pod or of course you can email the show at even the score podcast at gmail.com but until next time i just want to thank uh, anthony and jason for another fantastic conversation thank you to you both thank you well thank you too as well it was swell and thank you to all the listeners really appreciate you taking the time to listen share our episodes go ahead and give us follows subscribes whatever you want to give us we really appreciate it and just take care Hit your button. I'm going to hit that button. (laughs) Smash that like button, everybody.